When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Welcome to our post-Austrian Grand Prix review show and what a race it was with plenty of talking points to dissect. Joining me for today's episode are motorsport.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble, Autosport's F1 reporter Luke Smith and Autosport's technical editor Jake Boxall-Legg. But yeah, let's get into a summary of the race and uh, yeah, another another thriller at the Red Bull Ring, frankly. Uh, Valtteri Bottas won from pole position, but it was far from that simple. Bottas did indeed lead away on the line. He was chased uh, eventually by Max Verstappen once he'd uh, shaken off the attentions of Lando Norris. And obviously that would have things looked quite interesting at that stage because uh, Max Verstappen was running on the medium tyres whereas Bottas was on the softs and that's obviously the strategy that Verstappen used to win the race in 2019. But not long into the race Verstappen suddenly was running up the hill to it was actually going towards into turn one where the issue initially struck a loss of power something gone wrong with the Honda power unit and try as he might he couldn't get the car reset came into the pits and by that point it had actually been lapped anyway so yeah his race was done retired in the pit lane and that left it to, uh, into an all Mercedes fight at the front because Lewis Hamilton who'd had a, a grid penalty applied uh, just before the race started because uh, some extra video evidence was made available and Red Bull queried the fact that he'd got away with effectively passing uh, a yellow flag board without punishment that wasn't available to the stewards yesterday but they seen the video and they gave him a three place grid penalty which meant Hamilton started fifth he got past Norris and Albon in the early stages closed in on Bottas late in that stint but he was still he was still a fair chunk away and then the race frankly turned on its head massively when Kevin Magnussen uh, brake issue forced him out his car was left in a dangerous place so the safety car came out after that 
Bottas and Hamilton. Hamilton chased Bottas hard, but Mercedes actually had to interfere with the race somewhat due to serious reliability concerns on the uh, on the gearboxes of both cars due to the fact they were striking the curbs so hard. And while that was all shaking out, it looked as if Bottas was, was edging ever so slightly clear. And then again, the safety car was called out when George Russell retired, which meant that the pack closed up just as the race got restarted. Incredibly, a wheel flew off Kimi Raikkonen's Alfa Romeo. And, uh, and he had to park it up against the pit bulls. The safety car was uh, was called out again while that car was recovered. During the Russell safety car, neither Mercedes car had come in. It meant they were leading ahead of uh, Alex Albon, who had nipped ahead of Sergio Perez just before the Kimi Raikkonen safety car was called. It was a bit controversial because it was, was he ahead? Was he not ahead? He got back through under the safety car. And that meant, because Albon was on fresh softs, having stopped under the Russell safety car, that he was the sort of the, the joker in the pack, as it were, for Mercedes and the real threat. And as we'll come on to to discuss in depth in a moment, it was uh, it was his his attack on Lewis Hamilton, which changed the race again because Albon attacked going down the da- and downhill right of turn four, looked to be ahead on the exit. They clashed again, as they did in Brazil at the end of the 2019 season. Albon spun around, Hamilton given a penalty, which meant that Charles Leclerc, who had stormed through with the pack closed up, as it were, in the later stages, eventually finished second ahead of Lando Norris, who did a similar charge to Leclerc, set the fastest lap on the final lap Norris did, because Hamilton's five-second time penalty meant they were within distance to get onto the, the second and third. Well, I mean, Leclerc was always going to get through, but Norris in particular had to really push to make sure of the podium so Bottas clearing the lead he went on to take as he did in Australia in 2019 the first win of the delayed 2020 Formula 1 season so let guys let's get stuck in with our discussion and we'll start I think rather obviously Lewis Hamilton and Alex Albon I'm going to go to John sorry to put you on the spot first of all but what did you make of the incident and uh, who did you think was to blame I think you've got to put more responsibility onto Lewis. I know it always takes two to, two to tangle, and you can argue all you like that Lewis had full lock, and what is he supposed to do? But I think ultimately the corner was lost. Um, you know the acceleration uh, advantage that Alex had. He saw out of turn one, which is how he got in, got close to Lewis first of all. Around the outside was was you know gone and pulling clear. Um, I think in that scenario, you know the driver has to acknowledge that the position is lost. Uh, you know where was what was. Where was Alex supposed to go, or what was he going to do, or what was Lewis? How was Lewis going to defend when he was already behind? So I think in that scenario, you've got to pin the blame on Lewis. Uh, it wasn't deliberate; he didn't deliberately take Alex off. And there's anything kind of nefarious in it, but uh, in that incident, I think ultimately the the penalty was justified. Well, I might just throw one slightly nefarious suggestion in there. In that, on the opening lap of the race. It was the other way round, Albon almost shoving Hamilton off the track at the same corner. So I just wonder, I mean, there's no suggestion, nothing's ever come out being said about that, but maybe that played on Lewis's mind. We don't know. Yeah, Luke, what did you think of the incident? Don't know if I'd go as far as pinning it totally on Lewis, to be honest. Um, I think when we all saw the incident, the immediate reaction was, okay, yeah, oh, it's happened again. And yeah, Lewis definitely to blame in terms of him being the drive behind and his uh, front left tyre making contacts with the rear of Alex's car. But Toto Wolff said after the session, he said, if you look at the onboard, he reckoned there was about 40% were left of the track uh, for Albon to, to go into. And having a look at the incident again, there's definitely, Albon could definitely have moved further over to the left and Albon himself said after the the incident he said that he felt that Brazil was more 50-50 than this one was he was a little bit more uh, worked up about this one wanted to cool down before he went and spoke to Lewis about it but he said that in his mind he'd already got the move done and that he was already thinking about Bottas ahead and I think that maybe if in doing that he hadn't really looked at like was he completely past Lewis I mean he was almost 100% clear um, yeah, and Lewis, I think he was very smooth, very consistent with it, with the lock 
when he was turning into the corner. Um, we know what Lewis is like. He's always very, very hard, but very fair. He'll give as little space as possible, but keep it fair. I think that's probably what he did there. So, uh, yeah, I think the more I sort of look at it and the more I think about it, the more I'm coming around to Toto Wolff's way of thinking that it was uh, maybe a little bit harsh to hit him with a five-second time penalty. Uh, JBL, what were you thinking? What were your thoughts on the incident? You were on autosport.com, uh, autosport.com live, covering it as you as you do enjoy doing, I know. I am of the opinion that I think the, the five-second penalty was fair, given the context of the the race of the of the tires that they were on um you know album was obviously on the softly homebound and i think at that point when you're nursing a struggling car and you're on a harder set of tires that are many many laps older i think you do have to resist the temptation to fight that too hard um but as as lucas said there was there's a little bit of room for for album to remo- to maneuver in but then again you could level that uh, uh at Hamilton as well and say you know he could have moved over to the right a little bit um but then again you are still looking at that in you're looking at these slow-mo onboards and going oh well he could have moved to the left but the thing is that happened like that it happened in a split second and at the end of the day these drivers are human and although they're they've got fantastic reflexes this still happened in uh, a microsecond a tiny microcosm of time um I think yeah to conclude I think within the context yeah the five second penalty was fair but there is a bit of blame on both of their shoulders yeah i think i'm gonna agree with that i think that yeah hamilton probably deserving of the penalty just because of how far albon was ahead i appreciate what you're saying luke and well the point that toto wolf uh, made was the how far you know how far album was from the edge of the track but he was just so far ahead that it just seemed it just seemed clumsy almost from hamilton i know he had the lock on and everything and he, he was fully committed but it just didn't he just, you know, just, just, just from the way, the way, you know, the way that it, the way that it panned out, and the fact that the Red Bull was so far ahead. But I do agree with your point about Albon in that, again, it almost seemed he, he, he didn't have to do that. He still was a good, still ten laps left to run. Now I know Christian Horner's come out and said, well, you know, the the advantage he had was on tire warm up, and it was the fact that he was on the softs. The Mercedes would have switched their hards on eventually, perhaps using Bass getting involved. You never know. We all, we all thought that was going to be a factor. Yeah, I don't know. You just get the sense that ah, oh, maybe Albon could have could have been a little bit more patient but then again he he clearly thought he'd made the move done so yeah a really controversial incident and again like we saw last year at the conclusion of the Austrian Grand Prix where it was last year it was Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen the difference being they were much more side by side and Verstappen had much more right to edge uh, uh, Leclerc out because he was hanging on around the outside when he hadn't really earned it whereas Albon had earned it I think I think that's what the difference is here and that's why the penalty uh, are justified for Lewis Hamilton now it looked as if I was I was writing the race report for autosport.com. Uh, I definitely handled that very calmly and was not at all stressed at any point. What a race to make my Formula One coverage debut. And I have to say, it was very enjoyable to watch. At long last as well, after the Australian Indeed, debacle. didn't get to see any on-track action there in Australia. Though that was, uh, it was interesting from a journalism point of view, just to see the sort of everything collapsing around the, around the event. And then obviously almost effectively around the world when we got home. But uh, but yeah, the big, the big the, what I thought was going to be the big story of the race was the Mercedes reliability issues. Now, obviously, of course, that was that was still a major, major theme and a major talking point. But it was the fact that both drivers in, in the end Mercedes had to get James Vowles their chief strategist to come on the radio and warn both Bottas and Hamilton stay off the curbs because it is critical to your continued participation in the race so Jake I wonder if we could if we could come to you first of all can you explain what the issue was and why in particular the curbs at the Red Bull Ring were causing such havoc 
they reported over the radio that it was a gearbox sensor issue and uh, Toto Wolf said over the race that any triggering of that any any sense of failure there that that was it um you do have fail saves in these engines um these highly highly intricate power units um and obviously to try and preserve all of these parts together if a sensor you know switches off in one way then the engine's gonna usually cut out more often than not and this happened at about i think it was lap 17 lap 18 when lance stroll started to hit trouble um and he had to pull in and retire um and mercedes got over got on over the radio to bottas and hamilton and said look lance has had an issue with a sensor please be careful with the cars and then that line of discussion intensified it was okay please stay off the curbs this is critical now um and these curbs do put huge amounts of vibrations through the car um when you're designing a part for reliability purposes you do put it through a lot of vibration testing um but you do have something that's known as a natural frequency and everything on the planet has a natural frequency which is where it shakes itself apart um even humans do that's why people get travel sick because you're on you're on a road and it's starting to bump up and down you're like oh i don't feel so good um so perhaps those curbs were putting a vibration through the car that was sort of getting close to that value which was about to shake those sensors to pieces and ensure that they would break off or not work properly um and so when you have that issue it's very very difficult to manage you've got to stop doing you know, a very vital part of driving, which is going on the curbs, trying to extract as much time as you can. You've got to completely reset the way you think about it when you're driving the car. So it, it was very, very difficult for them to deal with. They they both did in the end. Um, and I'm sure Mercedes will be more relieved than happy that they got to the end of the race. Um, but it's, it is worrying and it's something that they're going to have to try and get on top of for the next race if they possibly can. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, Jake, in the fact that ordinarily, you know, we'd be moving on to the next race, the next country, um, and it'd be just like, oh, remember that Austrian Grand Prix where Mercedes nearly retired because their sensors were getting shaken to bits by the curves. But of course, everyone's staying in Austria. John, you're out there in Austria. You're there. You're there for at least another another week before you go into Hungary. Well, over another week, of course. Um, but yeah, is, is so, Jake, is this problem fixable for Mercedes or are we going to see this repeated next week, do you think? The thing is, like, you don't know what it is about the sensor that's that's broken. Um, and but whether it's the way that it's affixed to the car, whether it's the internals, um, we, we can but speculate. Um, Lewis Hamilton did say after the race that, you know, it, it would be very, very tight if they were able to get that kind of thing fixed. Um, and I'm sure that the Mercedes uh, high-performance powertrain's team will be looking at it in great detail to see if they can enact a quick fix um if not then um you know they'll have to get on top of it for the weekend in whatever way they can really well john coming to you it's another austrian grand prix where we're talking about mercedes reliability problems lewis hamilton was quite emphatic in the in the build-up that the cooling issues that afflicted the team last year weren't weren't going to be a factor but for the third year in a row or the third race in a row because we've got another one coming up next weekend that it's a reliability issue as truck Mercedes in Austria. What, what do you make of that? And, and can we now consider the Red Bull ring to be a proper bogey track for Mercedes, even though they won well, the think, race today? I think it's just a brutal track, full stop. Um, you know, you go to a lot of these um, tracks on the calendar. They've got the lowest curbs possible, um, super smooth asphalt. The second you get bumps, the drivers start complaining. Um, but Austria, the quickest way to do the track is to smack the curbs and run across the curbs and bounce over the curbs. 
Um, we know the team's asked for the curse to taken out um, at the back end of the circuit. So worried about breaking um, front wings there this weekend and obviously didn't want to overload on spares. They were still breaking wings this weekend. We know Max broke one of the, the new nose, well, the wing on the, the new nose concept uh, on Friday. Um, you know, the number of cars that retire today perhaps was linked to the, the fact it was brutal. It was hotter again today. I just think Austria has emerged as a really challenging track because it's an outlier on altitude, a bit like Mexico. It's an outlier because of the curbs. It's an outlier because there's a lot of, uh, you know, long straights. Um, and it's not an easy place to to drive with precision. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to push. You've, you've got to take some risks. So I think it's a great Formula 1 track. It would almost It's almost surprising if you were to just look at the layout in isolation. It's relatively simple. It's short. Valtteri Bottas has set a new track record at, you know, 62 seconds. It's just it just seems to have everything designed to produce great racing as we've seen a lot over the last few years. And I think a, a, a point that really you know shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be underemphasized is the fact that because it is relatively simple in inverted commas, the drivers have to push harder to make the difference because it's sort of it's a bit like Monza because there's fewer corners. There's you know there's it, it's easier for the slower drivers again in inverted commas to keep up as it were to, for, for, the, for, the, for the better guys to make a difference like you know that's that's the sort of thing we'd see back in the day at the the Nürburgring Nordschleife you'd get the real stars showing what they could do there because there was just simply more track to do it on uh, but Luke let's 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 go to let's go back to the battle between Hamilton and Bottas particularly at the end of the race because by this point Hamilton had got his penalty but Bottas was still in front what was the explanation the team gave about was there any consideration to swapping them over? I know people were pointing that on social media and things, you know, could could they have done anything with Bottas to try and rescue Hamilton's podium result? Yeah, that was definitely something that Mercedes did talk about. Uh, Tosa Wolf confirmed over the race that that discussion did take place on the pit wall uh, because, as you say, that would have given Hamilton the chance to maybe get a bit more breathing room, uh, make up, uh, make sure that the five-second penalty would still obviously give Bottas the win, but that he would keep uh, maybe the second or third place and be on the podium. But the more that Mercedes thought about it, the more that they realised it would be very tricky to actually execute it. Uh, Valtteri Bottas was completely unaware that his teammate had a penalty. He, he wasn't told. And that they thought that to in the short period of time between the final safety car restart and uh, the end of the race to let the Mercedes drivers get clear enough firstly for Bottas's sake then relay that to Bottas get Hamilton ahead maybe have Bottas try and back up the field a little bit Um, and all of that whilst avoiding risking the drivers passing Bottas Tosa Wolf feared that Bottas might even drop to fourth at one point had they tried to pull that off Um, and there were Toto said there were sort of thoughts back to uh, the Hungarian a couple of years ago where they did this swap and, and it worked, but they very nearly got overtaken by Max Verstappen because they tried this out. So I think it's it was definitely something they talked about, but in the end, it was just too difficult, I think, for them to, amid the chaos of sort of the final 20 laps that we saw anyway, to try and throw that in as well and try and save the save the one-two, I think would have been a, a bit of a step too far, maybe too risky for them. Absolutely. Well, um, Jake, what did you make of the the earlier intervention that Mercedes had to make with the drivers regarding the curbs? Obviously, we discovered we discussed uh, we discussed what was going on with 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 the sensor issues and the gearboxes and things like that. But what did you make of the response of the drivers? Because you know, watching the race and uh, listening via the team radio, it was the race engineers were like, right, 
stay off the curbs, you've got a problem, stay off the curbs to both of them. And then eventually, as I said earlier, James Vowles has to come in and effectively be like, right, stop it now because you're going to break the cars. So what did you make of, uh, of their, their, both their responses? Well, uh, first of all, I want to say that James Vowles does have this aura, doesn't he? You know, we've heard the Valtteri, it's James before, and we got a Rev, uh, Lewis, it's James. He just has this way of saying to drivers, look, that this ends now and they'll do it. But I think when the race engineers were doing it, um, Hamilton was like, well, he's taking more curb than me. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to carry on until he is told to stop, Uh, which is sort of like it's almost sort of a a fraternal relationship in a way. Uh, It's like, well, he's doing it. Why can't I? You know, it's good to see that these drivers do have that level of competition within the team. Um, And it was at times quite amusing there's one thing we, sh- we should point out is that in the middle of the race there was this radio message to um, Valtteri urgent chassis default 2.1 which immediately prompted wild conspiracy theories of is this code word for multi-21 are they going to swap positions are they have they been told to hold them off so I asked Toto about it tonight and he denied it he said don't get too don't get too um worried about a big conspiracy we aren't going to do team orders we don't do hidden team orders we don't do public team orders the pair of them are free to race under the the right conditions which basically means they can race as hard as they like as long as they don't compromise the chances of mercedes winning races i think you'd have to be a bit naive to think that mercedes would issue a team order like that and use exactly the same well two and a one in such a obvious fashion go oh here they doing it again it'd just be very very obvious wouldn't it i guess multi 7744 might be a little bit more difficult for them to get their mouth around and indeed Bottas did say in the in the post-race press conference that you know there was at no point was he told that there'd be any uh, any team orders freezing the freezing the race they were free to race all the time but taking imagine nico rosberg was still in the second mercedes alongside lewis hamilton what happened to Bottas at the end of qualifying if rosberg had done that that would have blown up. Lewis Hamilton, I could imagine, he'd been like Monaco, what was it, 20, 2015 or whenever it was, all those years ago when he went off down the escape road and it got pole position that way. Whereas on this occasion, there was none of that. There's that, it's only, it's, it's only, it's, honestly, I've, for me, it only feels like it's just a thought that's gone off in my mind. There was no, there was no, no mention of any Lewis feeling hard done by or whatever, because of course he, you know, he, he, he still finished second on the lap when it came to qualifying. But in the end, it costs Mercedes quite dearly that off from Bottas because eventually it drops Hamilton down the order in terms of starting on the grid. So he, he, you know, if that had if, he, if Bottas hadn't gone off in qualifying, the race could have looked completely different for Mercedes. Perhaps might have been a bit simpler. So, John, I want to come to you. What did you make of Bottas's performance overall for the whole weekend? I think he was just on it, but he's been on it uh, on, on Grand Prix weekends in the past. But I think this was a weekend where he was on it. And also had the rubber, the green, basically, that, you know, seen in the past, he's had brilliant weekends, he's outperformed Lewis, uh, and then certain factors all go against him, whether it's, you know, remember getting a puncher in Baku or safety car coming out at the wrong time. This was just a weekend where he executed everything perfectly. Uh, He had the rubber, the green in terms of, you know, making the mistake in qualifying on the, the second run with a yellow flag. Then this 360 video appearing last night, which... Um, when Lewis got the penalty which gave him a bit of breathing space early on uh, and then you know maybe even the gearbox issues were, were a factor in helping him too because it meant the, the pair of them weren't pushing to the max there wasn't really the opportunity for Lewis to launch a, a, you know, a massive attack and come at him so I was just a weekend where he performed brilliantly everything went his way 
and he delivered the win. He's got to hope he can deliver, you know, another 10 race weekends like that. It looked on the face of it as one of Bottas's best performances, just in the way that it, it almost seemed destined to be Lewis Hamilton gets pole and wins the race, judging by the, the performances he put into top all three practice sessions. It just looked so simple what he was doing every time, right? I go out and do my program and end up fastest. But Bottas turned that around. He said that, you know, he he worked out where he looked at where he was weak compared to compared to his teammate, where he, where he could find time. And he nailed those corners. It was a turn three and turn four. And that's how he ends up with pole position. Thinks he left time on the table because he'd gone quicker in sector one uh, before he had his off in qualifying. So, you know, a little bit of a, ah, it could have been even better and he did make a slight mistake. But I do wonder about where, what would have happened. Basically, because Hamilton was coming back at him at the end of that soft tyre stint and he just looked like he had the bit between his teeth and when Bottas comes into the pit lane after Magnussen's uh, the safety car was called for Magnussen's car the right front looked absolutely knackered on his car and it just seemed that maybe Hamilton had that slight edge had everything worked out straightforwardly if you, if you see what I mean um, so yeah Luke what did you make of Hamilton's performance today? I agree I think he did well to fight back from uh, obviously the grid penalty uh, starting fifth he he made some good moves early on to get up the order um obviously was definitely helped by um the uh, retirement from Max Verstappen that gave him second place but then I think he was about seven seconds back from Bottas when Verstappen retired and he quickly sliced that gap in in more than half by the time that the safety car came out and obviously triggered that uh, that round of pit stops so I think it would have been interesting that had maybe one got the undercut or the overcut on the other, just how that would have played out without the safety car. Uh, and then, yeah, as you, as you say, sort of through the um, second half of the race as well, we did see Hamilton really closing up on Bottas, um, even amid all the concerns from Mercedes about the about the reliability of the cars, that Hamilton was really trying to pressure his teammate. He sat within DRS for a, a number of laps. Uh, and then it wasn't really until the, the final safety cars that things really sort of cooled down again. And it was uh, maybe that took a bit of the, I guess, bit of fizz out of that fight. I think it would have been really interesting to see just how Mercedes would have managed that because ultimately they had sort of the buffer to uh, Albon behind that meant they could have said to both cars, look, just take it a bit easier, but you are still free to race and free to fight. And just how far both drivers would have pushed that. I mean, I don't know, would we have ended up in a, a situation like um, in Austria a few years ago with Rosberg? I highly doubt it. But it just would have been really interesting to see Hamilton be able to take that fight fully to Bottas. But I think the, the final safety cars kind of stunted that a little bit because obviously Mercedes did have to think about the um, the... the, the the, the, the one two the team result getting both cars home and yeah I think it, uh, Bottas then like he really did nail every single restart as well he said after the race that he's becoming a bit of a master of them in, in Austria and when that final safety car came out he was like oh god another one but he was able to really manage it well uh, final safety car I mean he ran very very close to the the safety cars it peeled into the pit lane um, and he said that he was that was maybe a little bit too close but he got it right it was okay uh yeah and I think he just he just nailed nailed the weekend really from sort of Q3 onwards he was really in impressive form and uh yeah would have been interesting to see Lewis be able to take the fight a little bit more but I think uh I think Valtteri firmly deserved the victory today well let's move on to two other drivers that were absolutely ecstatic with the end of a race result and quite unexpected I think especially when we come to uh, when we come to Charles Leclerc in second place given Ferrari did not look like it would threaten the podium at all smashing Vettel knocked out in Q2 it's pretty embarrassing for Ferrari and I think that Leclerc spared them further blushes by getting uh, P7 on the grid and it was just it was a race that I mean they did look better in the race as they always do Ferrari but 
it was a case of they needed the race to come to them and the circumstances to fall the way they did. And it was the fact that Leclerc ends up on the fresh medium tyres at the end means he could he could put in a Sterling drive. But it was interesting. I, I asked him in the in the press conference because he hadn't looked particularly on it on Friday. It was kind of weird. It was like you know, obviously we come on we come from the off season where he'd been granted this new amazing extension to his contract. He was clearly Ferrari's star for the future. Sebastian Vettel has been jettisoned, and then as soon as we finally get some track action in 2020, it was Vettel that was leading the way for Ferrari. So I said to him, you know, what what changed over the course of the weekend? And he said, well, I was just driving badly on Friday. It was me. I was, it was all down to I just I didn't I wasn't hooking it up. I wasn't getting right. So I was focused on that and the. the weekend you know progress well from there and he realized what he was doing wrong and he makes progress forwards but yeah john did you expect to see a ferrari on the podium no absolutely not i remember the, the middle phase of that race you know ferrari were in effect a midfield team they were you know fighting with middle of the pack didn't seem to have any sensational pace at all you know it looked to be a very disappointing weekend and then uh suddenly boom charles is up there um i think it was very much his podium rather than ferrari's podium i think just a sign of his brilliance uh determination tenacity um to have got up there and it, it wasn't impossible at one point when i think valtteri had a very very slow penultimate lap or second lap um from the end his times dropped away suddenly uh knowing that lewis had this five second penalty for oh blimey charles is going to win this race this is incredible considering you know where we've come from um you know that car is better in the race i think qualifying they've got some big problems i think luke spoke to um, Ferrari tonight so he can fill you in on what they were saying but you know it's a long way it's going to be a long season for Ferrari and uh, I think if it had been a normal race with no safety cars and stuff there's no way they'd have been on the podium Well Luke yeah let's come to you what was Ferrari's reaction to the podium and also yeah what did they make overall of the weekend? Uh, well I think even with the as nice as the podium was I think they're very realistic and very uh, they, they acknowledge where they are in the pecking order which is as John said they are a midfield team right now I mean the early stint Sebastian Vettel couldn't keep up with Lance Stroll um, it was only Stroll's engine issue that uh, gave him that position um, and uh, Leclerc was stuck behind Perez so it was it was a very very painful day for them um, Matteo Bonotto yeah spoke after the race and uh he, he said that he reckons that they're losing 0.7 seconds per lap on the straights and about 0.3 seconds per lap uh, on the cornering. And obviously you've got the updates planned for Hungary that are definitely going to help in terms of the cornering and, and put a bit more downforce on the car, which is a real weakness of the SF1000. Uh, but in terms of the engine, I mean, that that's, that, that's homologated. That's it for the year now. So he said unless they can sort of reduce some of the drag from the car, which obviously comes with its own compromises, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to really close up that gap. And um, he was rather coyly asked, how on earth does a team lose a second in the space of a year in developing a new car. And Bonotto battered that back and said that he wasn't really interested in comparing to Ferrari from last year. He wanted to compare to the teams around Ferrari right now and sort of look at the competition. But yeah, there was no sort of, they're, they're not mincing their words and they're not making any any secret of the, the trouble they're in right now. And uh, I think for Hungary, that's, that's really going to make or break their season because right now they are mired in that midfield fight with the likes of Racing Point and McLaren and Renault. Um, I think, Bonotto said it would be difficult for them to get any updates onto the car next week. Obviously, they'll, they're will they working as hard as they can and as quick as they can. But realistically, they are looking to, to Hungary. And uh, yeah, I think that the only sort of redeeming factor of the whole weekend was the reliability. And uh, he said, like, well, at least it works. And he said, obviously, it's very hot. And hopefully, it's even hotter next weekend. And that could cause a bit more trouble for, for the other teams. But uh, yeah, uh, but to echo John's 
thoughts on Leclerc as well. I think that really was his podium. I mean, he really fought his way through the field well, uh, made some really, really good overtakes in, in that final stint, really pushed hard on the softs. So, uh, yeah, a good sign of his, his greatness, even when he's been uh, given a, a, bit of a bit of a bad car. Indeed. Well, it's interesting you say that, you know, the adding up to the second that Ferrari have lost over the course of a year from Leclerc being on pole in Austria 2019 to being like so far behind this year. It's interesting to note as well that the Ferrari customer squads are also massively slower as a result of the engine change. So, you know, Haas has lost six tenths of a second. Alpha has also lost a second. You know, it's 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 really noticeable. So, Jake, coming to you. Obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of what Ferrari have had to do as a result of their settlement with the FIA. But what do you? What could we sort of suspect that they've had to do, and why it's costing them so much performance? Well, if you remember at the start of the year, there was a new addition to the regulation regarding the fuel flow sensors. And I know I talked about this a little bit at the end of last year and a little bit at the start of this year and I don't want to go too deeply into fuel flow sensors and bore everybody senseless but basically what (laughs) you'd appreciate that you love a pun anyway sorry carry on the problem is I used that pun twice today already in live so back to fuel flow sensors so what the issue is is we now have two fuel flow sensors so we have the one that everybody used in the last couple of seasons and another one that the FAA controls in its entirety they get all the data from it and nobody else does now the the allegation is that ferrari were using that fe- the, the single fuel flow sensor working out when it takes its measurements of the amount of fuel passing into the into the engine and around that injecting more fuel into the car now in in a race room it's not going to take it's not going to have as much difference because you're you're limited on the amount of fuel you can use but in qualifying way or not that's where it made the difference and Ferrari was on on pole so many times last year uh Charles Leclerc had the most poles of any driver last season and so the the suggestion is that by having more fuel available to the driver around those those intervals they were able to just extract more power from the engine this year uh as they said that well as the numbers show they're about a second down um Monza's going to be awful, isn't it? They're going to go home at Monza and it's going to be this great homecoming and it's going to be dreadful because they're going to have no pace on the straights. Um, I think, yeah, it, it's it's been tough for them, hasn't it? Um, and all of their customer teams are struggling. It's going to be largely more of the same next weekend. Uh, Hungary might be a little bit more okay because it's not as power limited so again i'm looking ahead to try and find races that might be a little bit better for them but if they don't sort out the aero then you know things are going to be really difficult it looks very very tricky for ferrari as you say and instantly it's going back to leclerc you know we we do see sort of the great f1 drivers outperform their car that classic cliche and just just grabbing the the great results when they can and but john let's go on to let's go on to his teammate sebastian vettel as i said at the beginning of the weekend it like he was going to lead ferrari's charge but come the end of the race, it's gone back to what we saw so often in 2019. Leclerc is the headline star and Vettel has had another embarrassing gaffe, it seems. Now, he did say he had absolutely no confidence in the car, just was not happy with the handling in the race. But he has a, he, he had an incident with uh, with Carlos Sainz, obviously replacing him at Ferrari next year, as Sainz was attacking Leclerc just before half distance. Looked like Vettel just misjudged his braking point and got to the point where he was so far into the incident, he was actually half spun before he... Uh, he, he he clipped uh, science at the apex of turn three. So what did yeah what did you make of Vessel's performance and 
how how you know were you, are you surprised that it happened or is it just another continuation of the the run of errors we've seen from him over the last few years yeah i think we we came into the weekend kind of intrigued by how sebastian would go there was some um you know martin brundle spoke last weekend and thought Ferrari's departure rather than leaving seb down down in the dumps would actually fire him up because you know he'd be out there for himself be pushing on uh and we saw him on a press conference on thursday dob his team boss in about how he got phoned up and Ferrari had told him to go so um you know it's all going his way then on friday he looked really very strong uh he thought, oh maybe maybe this is going to be a fascinating yeah maybe seb's got the bit between his teeth and he's going to go then obviously out in um didn't make it through to q3 which wasn't very good and then race yeah, I think just got caught out on a with a car he's not comfortable with uh, at a restart with cold tyres sucked into you know a, a tricky corner, um, probably a bit of turbulence from two cars ahead of him rather than one. Um, I mean, when you looked at the, on the um, trackside camera, it looked hugely optimistic. You thought, what on earth is he trying to do? So I think it's only when you looked at the onboard and just realised that I think he just totally misjudged it, locked up and spun himself rather than. Um, try to plough into or taking a position off signs so disappointing for him but I think it's going to be a you know a, a long season now because we know he's someone who needs confidence in the car he struggled the first half of last year it was only when the that new package came in Singapore suddenly he was alive suddenly he felt the, the car was underneath him and he could do what he used to do at Red Bull but if he doesn't have that Ferrari this year it's going to be a big struggle Absolutely. And that incident with science was investigated, but the stewards stu- decided that uh, no action was needed. And uh, almost, almost, obviously, this is not what they would be thinking, but almost like thinking, oh, well, that was just punished himself. We can't heap more unhappiness on the guy. Um, but let's go, let's go to another driver who was full of joy after the race, Lando Norris and his maiden Formula One podium, which came with, as I said at the beginning of the episode, just an incredible charge late in the race. He survived a, a big battle with his teammate, Carlos Sainz. He, pretty much biffed Sergio Perez out the way at turn three. You know, it was, it was you know, Perez left the door wide open. Norris went in and they sort of clashed at the apex there. Um, but then again, he was he had to close the gap to Lewis Hamilton and he did it with the fastest lap on the final lap. And I do urge you to, I know because I know it's circulating on social media, you can see the clip showing that final lap where McLaren are telling him, right, push the overtake button, use it here, use it now. And you can tell everything's right on the edge and the, the expression of joy that he comes out with at the end of the race is fantastic. Um, to the point where he he obviously enjoyed the champagne so much in the podium that at the start of the press conference, he actually uh, had to ask to have his uh, his his face mask changed because it was effect- the champagne was effectively gluing it to his face. He could barely he could barely uh, talk and was finding it a bit uncomfortable. But what a good problem to have with your Lando Norris. So Luke, how you know how, how how do you rate his performance today? And and in, you know fa- you know fantastic to see a young driver just in in his element effectively. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? Like we love these sort of I don't want to say underdog stories, but just some some freshness, some newness. Like it's always really cool. I remember last year Gasly getting his first podium, and then obviously the delayed uh, celebrations for Carlos Sainz. Like just to see a young driver they aspire to get to F1 obviously fight at the front win races be world champion whatever and uh, yeah for Lando it's just, it's just such a great story really really cool um, And it, but I think not only the race but the whole race weekend he was absolutely on it like he qualified brilliantly um, fourth on the grid uh, moves up to third 
red then after Lewis's penalty. And then throughout that first stint, he was, again, really, really on. He had a, a side-by-side moment with uh, Sergio Perez after he had a slow pit stop, uh, but got out ahead. Perez was then able to pass him back on medium tyres uh, early on in the in the second stint. But then, uh, as you said, like a really bold, brave overtake from Lando. The, I think that's the kind of thing it really does set out the younger drivers especially like, are they willing to try and go for that lunge go for that move and uh, yeah it was aggressive but brilliantly pulled off and then as you said that final lap like it was just an incredible bit of work to set the fastest lap I believe he pulled out 1.1 seconds on what he uh, what he needed to find and uh, just just incredible and I think he said uh, he's done an Instagram Q&A I believe after the race or talking about that final lap and he says I don't think Mercedes thought I could do it and he's he sort of said oh they wanted to avoid uh, having any of their own problems suggesting that if they had uh, Lewis and Valtteri too close together that might cause an issue but uh, yeah it was just it was just brilliant and to get to get a maiden podium, I mean, that's that's always impressive. But in the fashion he did it, and so dramatically, I think full credit to him. And I know there's a lot of hype around Carlos Sainz's teammate. Um, obviously, he's the man moving up to Ferrari for next year. But I think Lando, this result, I think it just really proves that he's he's a, he's an absolute star. And McLaren, I think, are right to sort of look to him for their long-term future because uh, of the kind of performances and brilliance he displayed today. Yeah, it's interesting, just touching on Carlos Sainz briefly there, uh, Andrea Sider with Team Principal at McLaren said afterwards that he actually wasn't very, Sainz wasn't actually very happy with his car today, Was just found things quite difficult, still finished fifth, still took a great result, it's just that his teammate was two places in front of him and gets, will get all the headlines and get all the glory. Um, Jake, coming to you, we sort of, well, you know, I analysed the numbers in terms of what we saw in the long runs on Friday and it actually looked like McLaren was struggling to a certain extent and that maybe Renault was were, were, were ahead of the team and that... Racing Point in particular was well clear. But Seidel says that they, they improved the car throughout the weekend and he's absolutely positive that they're right in there with Racing Point and Ferrari as well. What do you think of McLaren's form? And is, is you know, are they, a, are they going to be a regular podium threat or was it just because too many incidents happened today and that's how they got up the order for example both Red Bulls dropping out no the pace was was genuinely impressive from them we, we saw in te- we didn't see them a lot in testing they did a very very low key testing program um, just downplaying expectations just going about their business and I, I, I feel the same happened in practice as well um, and lest we forget that although the, you know the result has been affected by a lot of attrition Lando Norris qualified fourth um, well f- yeah, it was fourth, and then that became third, which is a fantastic result. Um, and and he's, you know, reaped the rewards today. Um, I posted on Twitter that it's nice to see another Somerset lad on a podium. Uh, we were spoiled. Just shout out to my home county. Uh, we were spoiled for years with Jensen Button. Um, now Lando Norris, Glastonbury boy, on the podium. Uh, nice to see. Good good county for racing drivers, isn't it? Will you be raising a glass of cider in celebration tonight, Jake? Finding cider in London is incredibly difficult. Plus, you know, I, you know, as a child, I, a child, uh, <laughs> as a teenager, I overindulged. <laughs> I do do things different in the West yeah, Country, don't you they, know, Jake? You start drinking when you're about 12 or 13. Yeah, I can probably go find some scrumpy somewhere. I mean, it's, it's London. I'm sure there's a place in Shoreditch or something that does it for i don't know 10 pounds a pint there are far better beverages to be enjoying in shoreditch i can assure you although of course with the current situation regarding coronavirus perhaps uh, perhaps be difficult to find any booze on a sunday night in shoreditch Uh, but john what did you make of racing point i would say that okay a lot of factors happened in red bulls race in the fact that they were a disappointment overall because of things just didn't play out their way but in terms of racing point 
considering how much we talked about them, how much we actually expected of them, judging by what we saw on Friday, how disappointed were you by what happened um, yeah, I, to the team in the it's race? It's really hard to judge whether, whether they leave this weekend really, really happy that, you know, confirmed the, the pre-season pace, two cars in Q3, decent haul of points, could have challenged for, a, you know, easily challenged for a podium, uh, maybe a double podium finish. But then in the end, the race didn't really pan out. But, um, you know, I think there's got to be encouragement at the pace of the car. That car's quick. Um, it looks like they can be, you know, fighting there. Maybe a lot of the time, perhaps, as the third quickest team on some tracks that suit that car better, because especially with the weekends at Ferrari are going to struggle. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe it just needs that kind of race sharpness when you're fighting for podium finishes that you can't afford to let any factor go not go your way basically then they need to push on so I think perhaps they may have dreamed of podium finishes this weekend judging by how quick that car was in the, the early stage of the weekend um, but I think there won't be huge disappointment or they won't feel despondent tonight about where they're at but I would like to see next weekend um, I think if they're not getting one or one car on a podium or both cars in the top five, then I think they'll, they'll feel that maybe they're not exploiting the best potential. So I think what, what will be interesting is kind of the development battle going forward from here because um, they've obviously started the season with a very, very quick car. The question is, can that can they maintain the pace when others are bringing some um, little updates and new bits into the into the mix? Absolutely. I think if I may sort of have my cake and eat it too, I think they should be definitely pleased that they've established that the pace of the car is absolutely real. I think it's the third quickest car. They should also be disappointed not to come away with a good result. I think perhaps like, okay, Lance Stroll had his engine problems and we know that he's probably overall always going to be a step behind Sergio Perez. But I think from where he qualified sixth on the grid, I think that's actually a bit disappointing. I think he could probably have done better. I think Norris in, again, to go back to the cliche, probably outperformed the McLaren ever so slightly. And great performance, well done. Congratulations to Lando, of course. But I think Perez just a little bit, a little bit disappointing there. And then again, he was sort of he was undone by circumstances in the race, in the fact that Mercedes, uh, sorry, um, Racing Point put him on the medium tires when everybody went on the hards un- under the first safety car. So again, we were gonna we were looking forward to the classic Sergio Perez tire management game. And it just, it just didn't come off for him when he sort of got swamped at the end because, of course, again, they didn't change his tyres. So the cars with fresher fresher tyres um, were able to come back and, and, and exploit that. But yeah, I just I just have a, a nagging feeling that Perez probably didn't extract quite what he could from that package. Um, Jake, what did you think of Perez this weekend? Oh, I think, as you say, a lot of it was circumstantial. Um, I do think qualifying was disappointing. Um, I think that there was more on the table than... Than, than than sixth, um, I think given practice form, yeah, maybe he sort of it, it flattered to deceive a little bit, and we hadn't seen the full pace of of Red Bull uh, et al at that point in the weekend. That car's got a little bit more in it. Um, he just didn't extract the maximum. I think Stroll was a little bit hindered by the fact that he was only doing one run in Q three, um, and he ran in the sort of the gap of the session, if you like, um, which it, it can work, but. I think because the trap temperature was just getting better and better as that session was going on, he was always a little bit hamstrung by that. Obviously, there was the he had his issue. Um, Perez was undone by tire choices, that five second penalty, which which ultimately didn't really count against him too much because Science sort of overtook him 
at the end of the race and he had enough of a gap to Gasly to to hang on to sixth but yeah circumstances kind of conspired against him um but it but I would just quickly interject there I think that pit lane speed uh, speed limit penalty which I forgot as I was sort of setting that point up for you there Jake that is another mark against Perez yeah. because that was that was an error that he made there that cost Yeah it's true I think okay not okay not much in the end but it did you know it was a mistake Yeah I think I think no I'll, I'll concede that I think uh, you're absolutely right he probably could have done better but again circumstances were such that maybe he couldn't I don't know I've been flying the flag for Racing Point ever since pre-season testing and I've been hoping of seeing you know some kind of mental result where they get a win or something Uh, and I'd still like to see that but I feel like a little bit sad that uh, the realization that it might not happen is starting to I think it's also it's also changing the mindset when you're when you're used to battling in you know getting through to Q3 is seen as a success and you know fighting for a decent haul of points and then on the miracle days you get a podium when you suddenly change the mindset to you're getting both cars through to Q3 you need to qualify top five you're fighting for a podium it's a totally different world and you can't afford to let anything slip so you know Stroll not having the you know running by himself in Q3 Perez not getting the, the toe in Q3 that loses you two or three positions on the grid and that makes all the difference in the in the race because I think you know, the perfect weekend, just as Bottas had the weekend where everything went for him, if if Racing Point had had a weekend where everything went, went for them, you know, Sergio should have been up there fighting for the podium. And the way the, the race panned out, the potential was there for them to be fighting actually for the win if if things had gone the perfect way for them. So that's why I'm intrigued to see what happens next weekend. Them knowing the pace and potential of this car, knowing they need to do much better in qualifying, what can they deliver now they need to deliver. Well, let's come on to another team that can probably be leaving tonight at the track thinking, being happy on the one hand in terms of the way its car is performing, but disappointed with its with coming over nothing because it's actually Williams. No points again for Williams, but they have clearly made a big step forward with the FW43. They reckon George Russell had everything just worked out slightly different in qualifying and gone absolutely perfectly for him. He could have made it into Q2, which is what they didn't do at all last year. And there were points on offer there. He was running 13th when that when that uh, power unit issue struck on his car. So Luke, are you disappointed and pleased at the same time as I'm sure the team will be? Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it because... Uh uh, we saw yesterday in qualifying that the team has clearly taken a big step forward. Obviously, George Russell was able to out-qualify both Alfa Romeo cars and was not far off a place in Q2. So I think that really gave hope of uh, them being in that kind of midfield fight. And then uh, when you have a, a race of attrition such as today, you really sort of start to look at sort of the, the, the bottom running teams and think, oh, they might have a little chance here. Um, as we saw at Hockenheim last year, obviously, when Robert Kubica scored Williams' only point of the whole season. And uh, yeah, it was all looking pretty good. And uh, Russell uh, was one of the very first drivers to pit, I believe, under the safety car. So that worked out in his favour. And then uh, after Sebastian Vettel's spin, Vettel was running behind him. And you kind of expected, okay, well, he's easily going to get past. And Vettel was stuck there for, I don't know how many laps, but it was a good, good number of laps and didn't didn't actually overtake him until Russell had the issue and stopped altogether. So I think even as terrible as Vettel may have been finding things in that Ferrari, to not be able to pass the Williams, I think that's sort of that's a good example of just how far Williams have come and what they've been able to do uh, do for this year. So uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately you had eleven cars running at the very end, and the man in eleventh was Nicholas Latifi, unfortunately. And I think Williams will probably they'll probably be looking at this weekend and thinking, yeah, that could have been happy, definitely, because they have made that step forward. But it does take these kind of freak, crazy races for the very, very bottom runners to get up into the points and. 
they, I think, will just hope that this wasn't the one and only chance that they'll get this season to score some points. But given how competitive they're looking compared to the likes of uh, Haas and Alfa Romeo in particular, I think there's good confidence to think that they'll get they'll get another bite of the cherry to, to get up into the tops then and uh, get some points on the board. But yeah, really, I really do feel for George Russell today because he put in a, a great, great drive and uh, I think would have really merited those points. What a race of attrition it was. Only 11 finishes, which is the lowest number of finishes for a season opener since the 2015 Australian Grand Prix. And let's just let's just run through the reasons. Uh, Daniel Kvyat retired late on with a sort of suspension tyre blowout at Turn 1, which he, he says claimed after a clash with Esteban Ocon, although looking the only onboard I've seen of the two of them together at the end of the race. Not quite sure that Ocon did too much wrong in terms of, uh, in terms of edging out uh, Kvyat, but he's, Kvyat was absolutely certain it was Ocon's fault. Um, Alex Albon retired uh, after his clash for Lewis Hamilton with a power unit problem. Kimi Raikkonen, as we said, the wheel flying off and Alfa Romeo have been fined for releasing the car in an unsafe condition. Uh, Russell was a loss of fuel pressure that cost him in his Williams and both Hasses retired with brake failure. Obviously, we saw the spectacular one for Kevin Magnussen. Roman Grosjean also off the road. It's the same. Uh, it was just overheating brakes, essentially. Stroll, as you said, suspected sensor issue in his power unit and Daniel Ricciardo in the Renault very early on retired. Uh, with a cooling problem that basically put the car into a safe mode and as we said Verstappen uh, power unit problem as well any particular reason why we saw so many retirements because we've come we've, we, we, we're not very used to this in the modern Formula 1 era they've become so good at making the cars bulletproof so what happened today that was so different uh, well I think it's a, a mix of the factors we've already discussed um, the, the the track conditions um, perhaps a little bit of the heat settling in um, obviously we weren't is the temperatures weren't as high as last year but you know if you're if you're lax on your cooling and you just simply don't have enough then that's going to spoil everything for you um i think i think circumstances just conspired really um and i think it is ultimately as well we've had what three four months off uh since since testing if not longer than that you know the cars haven't been dusted down properly and some of them have been on shakedowns but not for any real length of time um and it's just all of that sort of newness it's it's just like that delayed because we do get races of attrition often in the season opener when you know the cars haven't been bedded in properly and the teams are sort of they've done their testing programs but things still might creep up um so that is happening now just four months later than it usually does and it's it's weird to see it in the european season but uh, it's obviously for the guys that retired it's a bit of a shame but it's sort of it's interesting to see it mixes the field up and as you mentioned that 2015 melbourne race where you know after a dreadful year of not scoring any points felipe nazar and asalba came fifth that was a very interesting race and a very weird one so it's kind of it's interesting to have reminded there was a point in the race where i suddenly thought about why is everybody retiring what's so strange about this and it's because it's all happening in the summer when they've usually got their problems out of the way it's just it's just the time of year is the season opener being in a different time of year i think coming into play there well we're gonna we're gonna sort of start to wrap up this podcast now but john i wanted to to come back to you because you're uh, you're in your airbnb nearby the track you're there for the foreseeable as we said because you've got another race uh, next weekend but you know now that we've gone through the whole weekend what can you tell us about you know racing in the world of covid-19 what is the coronavirus protocols like overall what 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 are your what are your thoughts on the whole safety and 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 the medical issues going on at the track kind of 10 past 3 and 10 past 5 or however long the race lasts it's no different to before i think the racing was just as good the intensity the politics the 
controversies, everything's identical, but everything outside of those two hours is totally different. And I think it's going to be like this for quite a while, unfortunately. Um, you know, F1's been through, I think by tomorrow, they'll have done around 6,000 tests, no positives so far, which is fantastic news, especially because it means I haven't been tested positive as well. So more tests to come for everybody. And I think they need to, you know, this record needs to be kept. They can't afford to let this slip. So these protocols are going to stay in place. We're just going to have to get used to speaking to drivers and team principals via Zoom or, um, you know, messages on WhatsApp. I don't think we're going to be having face-to-face interviews for quite a while. But um, I think humans have a remarkable ability to adapt and change and things become normal very, very quickly. So I think, you know, two, three, four races down the road, we'll just think that this is normal and, and things are going to feel strange when we start getting allowed back in the paddock or can start speaking to people with no face masks or can start shaking hands or having a drink with somebody or sharing some gossip down the back of a motorhome. But um, for now, the new normal feels a bit weird. I thought everything worked very smoothly. I mean, there were there were the odd exceptions to this, but in terms of getting access to to, to people, sort of you know, sessions done via video calls and everything, I thought you know it could it, it could have gone a lot worse. I thought I thought frankly, you know, still race follow up news follow ups to do. We speak to a lot of people tonight, so they'll be working on that. Some columns Tuesday. I've got the delights of the my next COVID test. So we've all been trying to we've got to do them every five days while we go through so we're trying to plan the days to minimize the number of tests we need before we can get through the other end of Hungary so I worked out if I did one on Tuesday or Wednesday this week then it means one on race day next week in Austria one on Thursday in Hungary and then that'll be it till I'm out of Hungary so I can tell you it's not very pleasant having this swab rammed up your nose so uh, the, the fewer tests you can have the better. All the teams feel like once fri- once every Friday's gone past, they're always finding things they can improve on. So there's always, you always leave a race weekend going, oh, I could have done X better, or I could have done Y better. Now they can implement that. So potentially we could see a different race next week or we could see the same race. Never really know at this point. Um, the weather could be different. You know, Williams was saying that they thought the toe in qualifying was more of a factor than they were expecting it to be. So that could be a different variation next week. Well, should we expect a completely different race or do you think it will be uh, variations on a theme? Well, as you mentioned the weather, um, I did actually have a cursory look on the internet of just some forecasts of what we could expect next weekend. Suggesting a thunderstorm on Saturday, which could, with a bit of rain, that could completely shake the grid up for, for qualifying. I don't want to, you know count my chickens or anything but that would be a nice little bit of variation there will be of course it'll be different there'll be lots of different things it might be hotter it might be colder there might be that thunderstorm there might be rain you know it is a track that does constantly deliver good exciting hard racing as we saw today um and i i I think that can that's only really a positive yeah, the pressure is on the Red Bull ring to live up to its reputation again next weekend. Um, Luke, going to come to you for the final question, if you don't mind. Um, you're also making your autosport debut, as it were, when it comes to covering a Formula One race. So I just wondered, how are you feeling with the weekend now concluded? How did it go from your point of view? It was great. No, really great. I mean, I, this is my, I think it's like my eighth season working in Formula One now, which... Uh, even though I still feel like a baby in many ways, this means I'm definitely not a baby, but it's, I just, this was such sort of uncharted territory, I think for Formula One. And I think that when everything uh, emerged in March and the pandemic and the severity of it really became clear, I think there was a lot of sort of fear about what this year would look like for, I think for the sporting world as a whole, but particularly for such an international sport as Formula One. 
So for F1 to be, I think, the first real international sport that can't just work domestically, it's got so many working parts to actually get in line and make happen. But for it to have pulled that off, I mean, is is really, really incredible. So I think it's that that's been just a really, really cool thing to see. And I think it's it's made me made me feel very proud of of this wonderful sport that we all work in and we all get to share. Um, and on a similar vein, very proud of the the autosport team. Like it's been absolutely wonderful, sort of getting stuck into this weekend. And uh, yeah, I mean, I. I thing i described it the other day to someone saying it's just such a different animal to anything that i've worked with in it so far in my career in terms of just having such a, a a big team and so many sort of moving parts and but no it's, it's been brilliant absolutely brilliant and i think it's uh really exciting sort of to see what more we can do uh through the rest of the season and uh hopefully we get many more races like uh, this weekend in austria to uh, get our teeth into thank you very much for joining me this evening and thank you everybody who's listening along with us and um, just before we go again i'd like to remind you that uh, as of this week Autosport Magazine is back after a short break due to the pandemic and is now available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents there'll be a new issue available for you every Thursday next week obviously will be the Austrian Grand Prix review packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package thank you again for listening and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.